Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. Just recently, Australia had uh, its census. And in the uh, running up to the census, I noticed some articles in the newspaper about the question on religion. And there were arguments presented that uh, children should not uh, uh, say that uh, they were a particular religion because the, uh, the writer was arguing that uh, they're not old enough to, to make a decision along that way. And it, it seemed just reading the tenure of the article to me that many people who are opposing uh, the spreading of uh, the knowledge of Christianity uh, to people have, have not experienced God. They don't realise how real an experience with God is, how real God is in the world today, how much protection God provides in the world today and uh, with his angels, and that the many bad things that are happening that uh, are a result of, of human decisions uh, to, do, to do bad things. Let me perhaps um, give an example of this. Just recently... I've returned from uh, uh, travelling with some friends through Central Australia. We did a trip through uh, the up, uh, many outback towns like Inaminka and Kalamala, Birdsville. Um, we went across the Simpson Desert from east to west on the uh, French line and uh, visited Alice Springs and the East MacDonald and then came back down through the uh, Hay River track to Birdsville, so a, a north-south crossing of part of the Simpson. And in these remote regions, you're you know, very uh, uh, dependent on you know, having a good vehicle and, and good tyres. Uh, in some places, the roads are extremely rocky with sharp rocks. Um, other places, it's soft sand. You have to lower tyre pressures right down to maybe 12 pounds per, per square inch. And I was travelling with, a, as I said, a group of friends and we were all Christians. And so of a morning, we would have worship together before we set off. After we've packed up our camp, we would uh, um, gather around, have a reading from the Bible or a reading from a, a devotional book with some thoughts about God and, and God's goodness to us. And then we would pray. We would thank God for uh, the blessings of the day, the, the sunshine taking care of us in the previous days. And we would ask him to keep us safe that day and uh, to, for us not to have breakdowns and for us uh, things to go well, to be safe that day. And we would pray this every morning. Now, a number of incidents occurred on our trip that I, I think illustrate to me how... Um, at least from my perspective, of experiencing God. We had, uh, we're in a, on one of the outback uh, tracks driving along when in one of the vehicles, um, uh, the wife, uh, the lady travelling with her husband, uh, reached down for a drink. Uh, it was fairly warm during the day. We had to make sure we kept ourselves well hydrated. And she realised her water bottle was empty. And so she asked her husband if she could stop and go back and fill the bottle from their main container in the back of the car. So as she stopped and she hopped out the passenger side, as she walked round the, the back of their four-wheel drive vehicle, she heard a hissing sound. And what had happened was, in actual fact, they'd just run over a piece of fencing wire in the road and it had pierced the tyre 
and the tyre was going down. But it was still quite well inflated. So because she had noticed it at, at that particular time, they were able to quickly get a tyre plug out and actually plug the tyre uh, before it went down fully on the car and, uh, and actually repair the tyre. Repair the now, if they had have continued on, unknowing that their tyre was going flat, and then travelled over these really sharp rocks, undoubtedly they would have damaged the tyre and that would have reduced then, they were carrying a spare, of course, but um, in only one spare tyre and in the outback, um, th this could then put them at, at further risk. But it was interesting that just at that moment, she felt impressed to have a drink and realised her water bottle was was empty, and that enabled. And if they hadn't have, if she hadn't have stopped and walked, they wouldn't have heard the hissing and been able to repair the tyre in time. So I see this as an example of God's protection. Let me give you another example on our trip. As we were returning, um, uh, and we travelled down the Birdsville track and had travelled into uh, into Marie, uh, and um, and we're now travelling towards Melbourne. As we were coming to Bendigo, we planned to spend the night there in a in a caravan park, and it was it was getting late. We were trying to reach uh, uh, Bendigo uh, from Marie, so we'd been uh, travelling at the uh, speed limit of 100 kilometres per hour. And I suggested that we ring up and uh, uh, you know check out where there were uh, uh, caravan parks. And I'm a, a member of a particular caravan park group and get discounts. So I suggested this one. And the the lady again in this uh, the same lady actually in the same vehicle um, looked on um, uh, looked it up on the internet as we were travelling along and said yes, there's a particular part. And she gave me the address because. I was at that stage leading the uh, the group of uh, uh, vehicles, and the uh, and I entered the uh, address of this caravan park in Bendigo, so the GPS would take us there. As we were travelling along, and it was getting later in the day, uh, towards five o'clock, and we still weren't quite there. I, I on the uh, two-way radio, the UHF radio, I radioed uh, this lady, and I said. Um, Maybe we should ring ahead and book because, you know, it looks like we are going, they may, you know, close at six o'clock, something like that. So she said, yes, OK, I'll do that. And she had to go back on the internet again. And as I said, we were looking up a, a particular franchise of uh, Caravan Park uh, and she rang through and booked. And I the, third just, the thought just occurred to me... Um, I better check that uh, the uh, the address again. So I, on the UHF radio, I asked this lady uh, what was the address of the caravan park that she had booked now, booked the sites for us. And when she checked it, it was not the original caravan park in Bendigo. Instead, she had booked a caravan park at Morang, which is uh, some distance um, before we would reach Bendigo. Uh, I can't remember the exact distance, maybe 20 or 30 kilometres. So that was fine. We decided we'd stop early and we got there and we arrived. We set up camp and, we, and it was lovely park. And during the night, we heard this tremendous bang. It was sort of like a, 
a gas explosion in a in a kitchen, and I, I was woken up by the bang, and I um, I didn't hear any voices or anything, so I assumed that it was nothing significant. The next morning, our friends found that during the night, their tire had blown out. Now this was. An unusual experience. I mean, who has heard of a tyre blowing out in a stationary vehicle? But when we examined the blown-out tyre, and remember, on our way here, we'd been travelling at 100 kilometres an hour with laden vehicles, and we noticed that a large section, perhaps 100 millimetres long, of the tyre wall was severely damaged where it went in or had been suffering damage coming apart. And the, the, as we understand, a, a scientific explanation of what has happened was that about three o'clock in the morning was probably the minimum temperature. Now, when you're driving along in cars, the air pressure can rise four or five pounds per square inch. And so as the cool of the night, as it was dropping down to just a few degrees above zero, the pressure in the tyre had dropped down to the point that this damage to the rear, uh, to the tyre wall near the rim allowed it to just suddenly give way and blow out. Now, the way I look at this is that if we had have continued along the road, the extra 30 or 40 kilometres or to uh, where we were going, that the opportunity for that tyre to blow out while travelling at that speed was very high and could have caused an accident. I interpret that the fact that the lady misbooked the caravan park and booked one earlier by mistake was God's intervention to prevent that accident happening. So that's the way I see see these things as because, as I said, we pray every morning. Matter of fact, just yesterday, uh, returning uh, back uh, through through Sydney, driving along Penet Hills Road, and again, we have prayed in the morning for safety while travelling. Around Thornley, I was in the very left lane because I wanted to continue on to Hornsby. I saw a car ahead indicating that it was going to turn left. We're travelling at 70 kilometres an hour. But suddenly, the car stopped with its tail sticking out into my lane. In other words, it didn't go around the corner. It stopped. I'm in heavy traffic, and so I put the brakes on really hard. The wheels lock up. There's a tremendous screech. But I stop just a hundred millimetres short of the car. And why the car had stopped? Because around the corner there was a hearse driving into a, I think it's a funeral uh, place, and there was a line of cars. And so as this car ahead of me turned around the corner, it didn't realise that there were all cars blocking the road down this side street. And then it suddenly had to stop. So... I see these little uh, things of, um, of protection as examples of, of God, the reality of God. Another illustration just before going on holidays, I had um, our caravan uh, service and the wheel bearing serviced and we were about to leave and I had the most overwhelming impression to check the wheel nuts, to check that they were fully tightened. Now... I've been driving for over 52 years, uh, putting cars in for servicing and 
and uh, you know having new tyres and wheel, wheels, uh, new tyres put on my car. Never before had I been impressed to check my wheel nuts. On this particular occasion, I was so impressed that I took my uh, spanner set down to uh, my socket set down and left it by the the back door so that I wouldn't forget to do that when we left first thing in the morning. And when I got out there and checked those nuts, they all needed tightening at least half to three quarters of a turn. And so these are examples that I see of of, God, of the reality of God. When we pray, when we put our lives in God's care and trust him and believe that he exists, believe that he really cares for us, these are, are real experiences. When travelling through uh, the outback of Australia, particularly when you, we get out uh, to the top parts of South Australia, far western Queensland, the bottom part of the Northern Territory, one of the things that impressed me is it's, it's so flat. But every now and again you will see these mountains and the tops are absolutely flat, as if they've been cut off with a knife. And they're all the same height. You look on the horizon and there can be a row of mountains and they're all flat-topped and they're all cut off at the right height. The other thing we get impressed with and as I've travelled through the Simpson Desert and the Great Western Desert and up the Canning Stock Route on other occasions, the extensive amount of sand and, and, and weathering that has taken place. But the amount of water and the amount of force and erosion to cut these all these mountains off and over you know hundreds if not thousands of square miles to this level and flat to me is is very strong evidence of the global flood and the action of the global flood to erode them to at that particular time and a it's interesting. One of the places we passed through was a, a, a big, uh, what had been a big sheep station, Codello Downs. And there's a road from Inaminka uh, called the Codello Downs Road that runs up. And that reminded me of um, some evidence for the flood that was determined by the South Australian Government astronomer uh, some, some years ago. His name was George F. Dodwell. He served as the South Australian Government Astronomer at the Adelaide Observatory from 1909 to 1952. In 1922, Dodwell, who's quite famous, had led an important expedition to the uh, northern part of South Australia to observe a total eclipse of the sun and thereby verify Einstein's theory that light was deflected by the sun's gravitational field. So he, he was quite well known. He was actually a very clever mathematician as well. In the 1930s, Dodwell became aware of a book by uh, British Admiral Sir Algeron uh, de Horsey, who discussed an astronomical theory related to the tilt of the Earth's axis. Now, this theory had originally been put forward by Major General Professor Alfred Drayson, who'd served as the astronomer at the Royal Observatory at uh, Greenwich. Now, Professor Grayson 
reported a possible extra variation in the standard slight precessional wobble of the Earth's axis of rotation in addition to the regular wobble caused by the variation in the Earth's distance from the other planets as it rotates around the Sun. Now, this regular wobble is predicted by um, calculations uh, known as Newcomb's formula. So Simon Newcomb uh, was an American astronomer who derived that back in the 1860s or so from memory. Now, the angle of the Earth's tilt is known as the ubiquity of the elliptic, and it can be easily calculated when, uh, you know, latitude and the sun's shadow um, at, or the angle of the sun's uh, shadow on the longest day and the angle of the shadow on the shortest day. And from those angles, you can calculate the angle of tilt of the Earth. Now, it's interesting that the position of the sun at those times, um, the angle of at noon, of the shadow at noon on the longest day and the shortest time, was often marked in ancient monuments. And so Dodwell uh, realised this and went and made measurements at a number of ancient monuments around the world. In addition to that, he studied the works, the written works of many uh, ancient uh, astronomers who also report the, uh, um, the ubiquity of the elliptic, uh, such as Thales back in 558 BC and uh, Hipparchus, 135 BC and so forth, right up to uh, middle-aged uh, astronomers such as Tycho Brahe uh, around 1600 and, of course, more recent uh, observations up to about the 1800. But the old, oldest observations were most important. Now, when Dobwell plotted this data, he found that the angle of the, the tilt of the Earth fitted a logarithmic sine curve. And so if you uh, imagine a, a pendulum uh, swinging and you, you start off with a, a pendulum or a bob on a weight on the end of a string hanging straight down. When you pull that to one side and let it go, it will swing backwards and forwards. And if you measure that distance, it just slowly gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until it eventually stops. And this was exactly what the data was telling Dodwell as he looked at it, that there'd been a very large deflection of the Earth's angle of tilt, and the Earth had wobbled backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards and until it essentially stopped. And he um, worked out that it had uh, stopped, essentially stopped and reached equilibrium around about 1850. But when he extrapolated the mathematical data backwards, he found that there was a very large disturbance uh, around 2345 BC. Now, the data is very uh, greatly influenced by the uh, data recorded on the very old dates, and his oldest data was based on uh, measurements at the Temple of Karnak, um, uh, which was built by uh, Amenhep Het I. Um, and, but the date for this temple is, um, is up for question because we know it's... Um, the the dates for Egyptian history, you know, maybe up to you know four hundred years out, maybe even more. 
But essentially, what it's saying is that he calculated there was a major disturbance of the earth's tilt about the time of the biblical flood because his date coincides very closely with the date that we calculate from the Bible timeline and the dates given in the Bible uh, for the date of the flood. So I think this is really, really interesting um, evidence that we have out there um, for the uh, for the flood. Uh, in, in fact, my view is that when the and the major disturbances, we know the Bible describes that during the flood there were massive volcanic eruptions. And, and again, where you travel through Australia and, and other parts of the world, you can see where these lava flows have come up. They've come up through the surface of the earth. We see the massive erosion. We see the massive evidence of sedimentary deposits all over the world. And uh, essentially the, the surface of the earth is is covered with these sedimentary deposits that had been laid down in the past. And I my uh, thoughts are that just after the flood, as it settled up, was when the con- something occurred on the earth that shook the earth. That's when the continents moved, pushed up the mountain ranges, and that all this occurred after the flood. And the, the, it must have been a massive disturbance to alter the tilt of the earth to that degree. And I think this, again, corresponds, would fit very well, the, the, some massive force that forced those mountain ranges to rise. And again, this fits with these, uh, the formation of these mountains being quite recent. And when I look at the erosion of the mountains out there and the amount of uh, material that has been eroded away... I don't see millions of years. I only see thousands of years. There's not that much material there, in my view, as I look at that. Of course, there are many other scientists that believe in in creation and the flood, and we have been discussing the book uh, In Six Days, where 50 scientists, all with the, their doctorates, explain why they choose to believe in creation and reject evolution. And, of course, if you want to read the texts of these uh, particular articles, if you go to the website creation.com or Google Creation Ministries International, when you go to their main page, a search uh, box will come up. If you enter into that search box in six days, the first listing that will uh, come up um, in, re- in reply to that search um, will actually be the book in six days and if you click on that you can click on the names of the authors so it will appear down the left hand side and you'll see their chapters one of those uh, authors is a Dr Theo Agard and he is um, a former director of the medical physics at uh, Flower Hospital Oncology Centre in Ohio Uh, He holds a Bachelor of Science with first-class honours in physics from the University of London, a Master's in physics from uh, the uh, medical school at the University of London and a doctorate in physics, PhD in physics, from the University of Toronto. And again, he writes about how he has looked at the evidence, the claimed evidence for uh, uh, evolution and has a major problem with the thermodynamic aspects required for evolutionary processes. And he actually um, 
points out that, uh, and, and, and quotes another author, uh, G. Tyler Miller, uh, who wrote uh, the book Energetics, Kinetics and Life, an Ecological Approach. He, um, Dr. Miller wrote, we know so little about our tiny portion of the universe and observed it for such a minute period of time relative to cosmic time that extrapolating this meagre knowledge to the entire universe seems highly speculative and perhaps somewhat arrogant. Another scientist uh, who contributed to In Six Days was Dr Kerr Thompson. Now he is a former director of the US Air Force Terrestrial Sciences Laboratory and um, I'm sure that they would not have a Hick scientist in uh, in such a, a important position for the U.S. Air Force. And again, he holds a um, Bachelor of Arts in Physics and Geology from the University of British Columbia and a Doctor of Science, which is a higher degree in Geophysics from the Colorado School of Mines. And uh, he served as a Professor of Geophysics at uh, universities and so forth. And again, he points out, from a geophysicist's point of view, the massive evidence for the flood and the importance uh, of why evolution is absolutely impossible from a uh, thermodynamic uh, point of view. Another uh, scientist that uh, you might uh, like to read his article, um, articles in In Six Days, is John Bomagada. And uh, he worked in the theoretical division of the Los Alamos National Laboratories and holds a Bachelor of Science in Electrical Engineering from Texas Tech University, a Master of Science in Electrical Engineering from Princeton University, and a Master of Science and a PhD in Geophysics and Space Physics from the University of California, LA. And he has, in his article, he provides extremely powerful evidence for the global flood in recent times. I would really recommend that you read this chapter by John Baumgardner in the book In Six Days and read it there online, free. As I said, go into um, just Google creation.com or Creation Ministries International, do a search for In Six Days and then as that, and click on the top one that comes up for the book and then scroll down. Uh, and you'll see a chapter by John Baumgardner. Now, he presents highly authoritative work. Uh, he's researched in this area. His research has been on the geophysics of the Earth's mantle, and he provides powerful evidence for the flood, the global flood, in recent times. It's a brilliant article. Well, uh, thank you for joining us today. You've been listening to Faith and Science. My name's Dr John Ashton, and I hope you'll join us again soon. Bye for now. been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.